gotta keep one jump ahead of the bread line, one swing ahead of the sword. I steal only what I can't afford. That's everything. One jump ahead of the lawmen. That's all, and that's no joke. These guys don't appreciate I'm broke. Riff raff, straight back, scoundrel, take back. Just a little snack, guys. Rip it open, take it back, guys. Take a hint, gotta face the facts. You're my only friend, Abu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm your host, Paul Smith of the Gobble to Geek podcast, and joining me, as always, are... I'm Eric Sipple. And I'm Arlo Wiley. On top of it this week, way to, way to be on point. Uh, each week, we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series, The Legend of Korra. Eric and I have seen both series before, but this is Arlo's first trip to the world of Avatar, so there will be spoilers, but only up through the episodes that we're discussing tonight. Uh, and tonight, Studio Mir makes its triumphant, beautiful return to the Legend of Korra animation duties as Book Two Spirits hits the midway point with chapters 207 and 208, the glorious two-part Avatar origin story beginnings. You said duties. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's too early. We're recording off our normal schedule, so this is going to go very poorly. For I know. This yeah, is... Paul said tonight. We're, this is actually in the AM. It's very <laughs> unusual. You have shattered the illusion. Damn you, you monsters. Yeah, I also is... resent the implication in your intro that we are never not on point. <laughs> Usually, all right, here's... Uh, I think I think I often edit the pause out. So here's another behind-the-scenes thing. In the intro, whenever I say, uh, and joining me as always are, there's like a five six second gap before eric remembers he's supposed to say his name right that is there. that is absolutely untrue i always get in early it's it's arlo who's late every time <laughs> oh look my i am just pausing for dramatic effect okay you saved the best for last yeah see see even he, he's admitting it's him and not me <laughs> okay that's fair wow. anyways um yeah the, so thank you for ruining the carefully crafted illusion uh, this, this is, was a good show. Exactly. This is a Saturday morning cartoon episode of uh, The Avatar Returns. Well, given, given that this is a behind-the-scenes look at the Avatar in this two episodes, I think it's just only right that we have a behind-the-scenes look at the Avatar Wow. Returns. Wow. Well done. All right. I'm not, I'm not going to bother trying to segue. So uh, there's always a little push and pull on whether we're going to discuss these chapters like individually or discuss them as a as one unit. I think this week it's pretty clear we can talk about both of these chapters as a single piece, beginnings part one and beginnings part two. So let's uh let's just get into it. Arlo, you're the newbie. What'd you think? So actually I have a question first. Okay. Um what does the So I think I've talked before on this show, maybe. I know Definitely on Gobbledygeek, but I've talked before on this show that I don't often fall in line with uh, fandom, mm -hmm. uh, the, oh, the, with, with, especially with the, uh, the Avatar prison episode that I love. Everybody else is like, ah, uh, piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> so my question is, because these are – this is basically a prequel right? Um, and establishes some – it does some heavy lifting of, on the existing mythology – what do the fans think of these episodes? What is the general consensus on these? Are these controversial episodes? Uh, I think they're generally generally well received. I mean, I've I've seen some griping 
here or there uh, about people saying, and, and this is a gripe that I tend to have about these sorts of things, not necessarily this one, but this sort of thing, the, uh, the answering questions that maybe we didn't even necessarily need answers to. I've seen people complain that they, now that the, the mystery of where the avatar comes from has been answered, they're not really happy with it. But I think for the most part, these are well received. It is, it is, and this is about as authoritative as you can get on this question. Highly reviewed at IMDb. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, that's that's all that matters. <laughs> um, no, it, it is. I think this is a well a well um, received episode. I, I think that I can tell why you'd think that Arlo, be, like why it might be controversial. Because I mean, certainly coming into this episode, I entered this episode and started seeing what it was about and thought, no, I don't need this. I don't we, need. We, we don't not, need. It's not what I need. We don't need midi chlorian bending, right? Eric? Yes, I was like, this is like I, I. don't need to know where the avatar came from. I this is not something I needed. So, anyways, I, I that that would probably lead me to wonder the same thing um, if I were in your shoes right now. So I, I get that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's good to know that these are well received. Fandom may live this time, <laughs> uh, because I thought both of these episodes were pretty great. Uh, but like you, Eric, when it first started, I I didn't know what I was getting into. And w- initially, when it starts off with the whole, uh, you know, Korra is dreaming, going on an internal spirit journey, and she sees herself, and it's like, "Who are you? I am you." I was like, "Oh Jesus, really? This is <laughs> this is going to be one of those?" And I, I I like weird, you know, dream type episodes, but I was I was I was skeptical. And then I saw that it was going to be a, a prequel an avatar origin story and became even more skeptical. But by the end I was absolutely won over and I was, I, I, I found all of this pretty fascinating. I'm really glad to hear that. I was, I wasn't sure. I'm never sure how this episode's going to land because of that, because the, the um, well justified um, reason behind getting concerned about this is like, can be pretty powerful. And I can see people not being able to get past that. I guess I would understand it because it is giving a lot of concrete answers to the avatar that you may don't think the series needed at all. And, and for about maybe the first half of the first episode, that uh, worry lingered with me. I think the first time I saw it and more and more, it started creeping in and all of a sudden it felt like an extremely necessary piece of information, not just a cool couple of episodes, but by the end of this, what it says about the avatar and the avatar's relationship with the spirit world and all of those things suddenly felt so necessary that I can't imagine the mythology without knowing this. My favorite thing about beginnings, uh, I don't before we hadn't really gotten any information about how the avatar came to be, had we? No. no. Okay. Uh, so I had just assumed that there had always been an avatar. Like to, to keep everything in balance. I just assumed it was a thing that began like at the dawn of time and you know has continued on. So to see that the avatar position was basically self-created by man to atone for throwing uh, nature in the spirit world out of balance, mm-hmm. uh, I thought was really interesting, and I think says a lot about what the avatar is. And really, and really does open up the relationship between man and spirits, which you know is such a, a, a crucial focus of this season. Yeah, the the Avatar is a band aid. It turns out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, well, uh, it, and what I like about it is that it's a band aid to a very different world than the one that we saw. 
that I, I, I think one of the reasons this works is because the world that births the Avatar, it's, it's a crucial change point for the world as a whole. It's not just here comes the Avatar, and it's not a change entirely for the better, as evidenced by what we learn at the end about Wan's um, passing, but it's, it is a huge inflection point for the world and the spirits and man as a whole. And so because of that, it like really works as a explanation of the background because it's it feels like a monumental piece of history, not just like the character's origin story. And and I'll tell you, uh, can't get into specifics uh, for fear of spoilers. Don't want to ruin anything for uh, Arlo or our listeners. But, um, you know, this is my, I don't know, third, third or fourth watch of Korra. And there there are larger elements of the Korra story that play out throughout the entire series that no matter how much I, I love, like, or tolerate the various stages of this series, um, there's part, there are parts of it that I, I struggle a little bit with. And for some reason, uh, maybe it's just, like I've said before, the act of analyzing the show with the intent of discussing it with you guys, uh, a couple things clicked into place a little more firmly this time. Uh, at this point, there there are elements, there are things that we learn in this about the origins of the Avatar and the nature of the Avatar spirit and all that, um, that kind of uh, makes peace with stuff that I'm a little iffy on later in the series, I guess. And for some reason, it never gelled for me on any of my previous viewings. So that's vague. We'll get to that later. <laughs> well, you <laughs> will have series. to keep me on track if I if I start having any complaints. You'll be like, no. This was explained back in beginnings. It makes sense. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So, well, let's get into specifics then. So, the, this is um, the this is the Aladdin uh, of the Avatar. Yes. I was I was wondering who was going to go for the Aladdin reference. <laughs> that, is, that's that's literally in my notes. Yeah. Juan, Juan is the riffraff street rat of uh, of avatars, but um, and. And voiced by Glenn from The Walking Dead. That's right. Yes, the the, the one the, the one of two good things to come from The Walking Dead. The other being John Bernthal. <laughs> yes, that's, that's true. That's true. Um, so, uh, Arlo, you said it took you a little while to get into it. What uh, what were your thoughts when we first got? Uh, My name is Juan, and I will show you how I became the first Avatar. Again, I was. I was apprehensive because so often I feel like these stories are unnecessary, especially this. I mean, this, we didn't even find this out on Avatar. This is the second season of the spinoff, mm-hmm. and we're suddenly finding out how the Avatar came to be. This could have been disastrous, or at, the, or at the very least, it could have just been like, well, that was fine, but we didn't need to know that. It just, you know, is unnecessary. But I had read that they created. Like they, they had this story in mind from the second season of Avatar. Right. They just didn't have anywhere to tell it. And I do want to talk a little bit about the structure of this season, like once after we've discussed the specifics of this episode. But taken as a whole, yeah, I was really won over by beginnings. And I think pretty much as soon. So I was a little weirded out by the. Uh, the, the dream stuff at the beginning just because I, I didn't know if the show would be able to pull it off with, with Cora in the Lazarus pit or wherever she was. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and the whole darkness will engulf the world if she doesn't reconnect with her, av- her avatar spirit. Uh, but once the actual flashback with Juan started with 
the beautiful animation of Studio Mir done in the style uh, of like Japanese woodblocking. Yeah, like ink wash or woodblock artwork. Yeah. Yeah, it's just I, I I was I was pretty immediately won over, and there's a lot of we are all fans of Miyazaki, and if you're listening to this show and aren't familiar with our other show, I highly recommend. Last year we did a, a whole Miyazaki month. Uh, on Gobbledygeek. Eric was there for an episode. Uh, so we are big fans of Miyazaki. And th- I would say in general, Avatar has definitely had a Miyazaki influence. Mm-hmm. But man, this one lays it on thick in a good way. Like they, cr- they crib a lot from the Miyazaki playbook. And it just, I think it just served to make the episode stronger and more interesting. Yeah, we're in, we're in pure spirited away territory in this. We've had We've had other um, sort of Miyazaki aesthetic callouts before in the show. Uh, Mononoke stuff, I feel like, has, has always been a big influence on the show. But the the spirit wilds of this world uh, feel right out of Spirited Away. Oh, the, yeah, because you've got like the the there, there's one of the creatures in the the, the wilds looks like the soot sprites from uh, Totoro. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, the the one creature. <laughs> you you want to hear? So Paul doesn't think my notes exist. <laughs> My notes exist, but do you want to hear how uh, eloquent they are? Absolutely. Uh, oh, hell yeah. That one thing looks just like that thing from Spirited Away. <laughs> uh, is it the white dragon? It's the, it's the thing with the, like, the white mask face. Oh, that was one of my favorite spirits. Yeah. I, 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 didn't, even, I didn't connect that with it. I mean, that oh. entire – that whole like spirit sort of parade thing mm-hmm. felt – right out of spirited away the white dragon i thought which we'll talk more about in a minute but the, that white dragon i thought that was straight out of spirited away um uh, and then you have uh juan riding mula which looks just like uh, uh princess mononoke mm-hmm. yeah uh mula i loved mula any 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 giant cat deer animal is gonna win me over immediately but uh like the my favorite spirits included uh let's see i made a note of this um the uh here we go the carrot spirit is number one that's top of the list i i i want uh i don't know i want a spinoff about the carrot spirit because he was he he, i would say adorable but he looked very grumpy so i want a spinoff about a grumpy carrot spirit um And then I made specific note of like the I said the four-legged spidery spirits with the tall pale bodies and the paper masks tied to their heads, because that is such a unique look. I mean, it's so cool. Is the is the carrot spirit uh, like a, a, a an homage to the the flaming carrot? Do you guys do you guys know the flaming carrot? I do know the flaming carrot. I don't know if that was a specific homage they were making, but in my heart, it is okay. Um, he didn't have webbed feet that I could see. The flaming carrot has webbed feet. Oh, you're 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 right. You're absolutely right. And wears clothes. This was a naked carrot. Look, I said on a family you show. You know, whatever, whatever, Paul. <laughs> so naked produce. How scandalous! Exactly. Um, all right. Well, uh, so while we're on the animation, we can talk about the. I mean, Arlo, we, you already mentioned that it has sort of the the ink wash or the the woodblock look to it, but. Um, specifically, I mean, that's mostly like the background. The backgrounds in this are intentionally made to look sort of flat uh, yes. in a beautiful way. But like the bending animation yeah. looks much different here than it does in anything else we've seen in the Avatarverse. So uh, specifically, the fire and the air are the two yeah. that, that are most clearly 
kind of much more stylized. Yeah, I mean, more I'd say cartoony, but that I don't know if that's the right word. But yeah, I, I don't think uh, more more painterly than anything. I think with the the curls mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, there's there's an abstractness to the art style of the bending in this area. These like gray gusts and fire is a lot more like spread out. It's definitely like it is. It's a less like it's just less concrete feeling, mm-hmm. which I really like. It goes along with the rest of the animation. And, and, you know, I, I don't not to, not to get this lost too in, in the fact that it's just gorgeous overall, uh, how nice it is to have mirror back just because of the quality mm-hmm. of animation. It's not just that this episode looks really good, which it does look really good and different. It also looks, we're back to things feeling fluid in a way that they didn't, for a while there yeah season. yeah there was uh, you know um we've been talking about missing studio mirror throughout this entire season and now that they're back i was super psyched and then i was like oh but it's not you know we're not getting to see the the regular studio mirror style this is a this is a brand new um art style but we get uh we get brief looks at cora at like quote unquote present day cora and even in that as as brief as they are there's uh, you can see just the life in the animation, the fact that characters move even when they're not the ones that you're supposed to be focusing on and, and that kind of stuff. But like there's one scene in particular with Juan, when Juan is being chased in the street rat scene when Juan is being chased and he like jumps up on the uh, on a roof ledge and, and die, or falls over the side to get away from the people chasing him. Uh, if you go back and watch that scene, there is... There's needless detail in that. There's needless motion and animation when he falls backwards and kind of, you know, waves at the guys and then he does this this spin and tuck roll as he's falling out of out of frame. It's that's the kind of stuff. Tiny little details that you might not even consciously notice, but it it breathes life into the animation and I, I feel like the other studio hadn't been doing that. I'll be honest, I'm not sure. So without doing this podcast, I'm not sure I would have paid as much attention to the overall, like 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 the differing quality of animation. I'm not sure I would have even, you know, consciously noticed there were two different studios. But because we've been having these conversations, and maybe it's because this is the first time we've seen Studio Mirror in a while. But yeah, wow, I the the quality of the animation of the previous few episodes definitely pales mm-hmm. in comparison. I can I can really tell. And luckily, we only we only have one more episode without Mir. So, and then I'm pretty sure we're Mir the rest of the way out. Thumbs up. So, so Mir yeah. all the way down. Mir, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's lion turtles all the way down. <laughs> Spe- actually, so speaking of the lion turtles, there's there's a lot of things in this episode that I really dig. Um, like kind of like world building density and like the thematic ideas behind them and. Uh, although a lot of stuff's going on in this, we get a lot of really like like this like smattering of ideas that add to the mythos, like that we have an avatar because Juan literally stole fire from the gods. Yep, Prometheus. Uh, he, he, you know, he's the, the avatar is a thief who stole bending. Um, the other thing that that bending existed as a means for humans to fight off spirits. The dra- the lion turtles gave bending as gifts to spirit to humans going out into the wild to do combat with spirits. Mm-hmm. Which I also think is really, really interesting that bending is not like the art of bending 
was a reaction to the fact that spirits were all over the world and no one knew what to do with it. And it was also from the lion turtles. Like, it's not like humans created it themselves. It's, it's, there's this tension to the world that underlies all of that that is really interesting to me. And, and it just feels like there's a, a lot to, like, dig into on the world as it stood in the days of Juan. I cannot believe I didn't make the Prometheus connection. That is, oh, that is embarrassing. Shame on you, Arlo fire and everything and then it starts off with the prometheus myth and it ends with the pandora myth with uh juan releasing chaos into the world right right but uh yeah i knew that was gonna happen though i knew that was a bad idea when he broke up the the rava vatu (laughs) conflict i was like oh no he's getting involved this won't end well and sure enough he got suckered yeah uh before we get to go go ahead no, I was just going to, I was going to, oh my God. All right. No, you go. No, seriously, you go. Uh, it was just, it's nice to see an avatar who shares Korra's headstrong attempts to do good without really thinking through the consequences of it. In I, a way, in a way, Korra is sort of a return to the more uh, headstrong, you know, loose style of, of, of being the avatar instead of, I feel like we've seen a lot of more like super serious stentorian figures. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I I agree with that, and I think there are some. I think there are some interesting conversations to have about that the, the that thematic connection as the series goes on too. This season, at least. Um, all right. Well, uh, should we get into? Do you want to get into the Rava and Vatu stuff now, or do you want not, to build up to that? No, not yet. I want to talk a little more about um, some of, one of the other spirits things, which is okay. um, specifically the. Uh, Juan's time with the spirits that he makes friends with. Um, uh, two things, especially one, the spirit water that has healing properties, right. which is a great a great callback. But more specifically, his training to learn fire and the dragon dance. Yes, the 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 dragon dance that we quote unquote later see uh, Aang and Zuko learning. Yeah, it, it, I, I just love that sequence overall. Like, I love the idea of Juan becoming friends with the spirits and all of the stuff that goes along with it. But those little callbacks, callbacks are difficult in prequels. This is actually one of those danger zone things, like a minefield that you hit in a prequel to, like, call back to ideas. And they do it so deftly with both of these. It mm-hmm. makes absolute perfect sense. You know, it didn't feel like, hey, ah, that's where the spirit water came from. Because there could have been 30 of these oases all over the place. So it's not, it doesn't feel like it needs to be, like, the origin of specifically the water that Cor- that right. Kara used, but it's sort of like a callback to that idea. And then it the 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 dragon dance works as like a callback to the origins of fire bending and its stylistic origin specifically. So that really works too. So I was I really love those those that whole sequence is great, and I love those two bits especially. One of the things I love about watching Juan as he trains to use the various bendings is a uh, it. It addresses a minor quibble of mine that I've made before, where um, like one of the things I loved about uh, Avatar The Last Airbender was that the bending followed very different martial arts styles. And as the series has progressed, and especially as we've gotten into Korra, uh, we see more and more of people bending, and there's no, it, it doesn't look like there's any like rigid uh, stance or, or uh, you know, kata involved in it. It's just them... F- flinging water or fire or whatever and i've that's bothered me a little bit i liked the more structured martial arts look to it and this shows us that bending started out there was no structure to it it was a power that was temporarily granted to humans 
um, that they were supposed to return when they came home. Uh, and so that's how we see people like the huntsmen and, and the people that are out in the woods when they're using fire. They're not doing martial arts. They're just throwing fire around as as Juan is learning how to control these. And especially as he's getting multiple bending styles and he has to he has to work with each one differently. We start to see him do more what looks more like the the martial arts styles that we see when we get to Avatar. It, it gives a sense that the martial arts styles were a were developed as a way for humans to better use the mm-hmm. gift that was given. That there is that that, and they certainly became better with it. The people who are just throwing it around are significantly less effective with it than uh, Juan is after he learns uh, firebending properly mm-hmm. and develops sort of the katas around it. So I like that. I like that it it shows that there's a spiritual aspect to it, separate from the specific martial art that you use but that the arts that were around it grew out of the culture of humans learning to use those powers. Yeah. Um, Bruce Lee would be very happy with the, <laughs> the fact that it's not entirely tied to any specific motion that you, you can, in the, over the course of history, Bruce Lee would definitely find a way of, of combining the best aspects of all the things. A Bruce Lee avatar would basically be unstoppable. I, th- I think Bruce Lee probably was the Avatar. Probably. Yeah, I think I think so. There we go. He was a waterbender. He started out as a waterbender. <laughs> um. Uh. So yeah. So we, um. We actually we get an example of the people like the other humans. They actually comment on the fact that uh, you know one uses fire like like nobody else I've ever seen. He it it acts like an extension of his own body. Um, and then Juan is not only does Juan create serious problems when he uh, runs into Rava and Vatu, but he inspires his friends to stand up and change the world to fight back, and that bites him and the yeah, world in the ass that, as well. So it doesn't go well. They they take his message, and uh, I mean, I guess they follow his advice. Mm-hmm. They just. Uh... Yeah, they just start fucking up every spirit they come across. <laughs> um, I, I really, I really love this thing that that all of this is like. It would be really um, tempting as a writer to make the original Avatar either perfect or become perfect, you know, as like the pinnacle of Avatardom, and they go absolutely not in that direction at all. He is he is as human and screwed up as any Avatar we've ever seen. Um, he just had the he had a good sense of insight and judgment to realized there was a path that the world needed and set himself on it. And he didn't even mean to set the rest of the world on it because he had no idea that there was going to be another avatar after him. So I, I like that. I like the fact that it's all about Juan and his choices and his relationships with those he forms and not about some mystical destiny that was supposed to happen. And they don't tip him. I guess this is what you just said. They don't tip him too far into the, he's either really stupid and selfish or, um, I don't know. He's not like a complete idiot. Like I with maybe with the exception of him interfering with the, the Rava and Vatu fight, there's, he doesn't really do anything that makes you go, Oh, what, what the hell are you thinking, man? Um, like you really see his good intentions. He seems like he's a pure spirit. He's just is, is out of his depth here. Basically. It's the, uh, uh, Juan is like the, like a force of unintended consequences mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Um, it's human nature, baby. <laughs> All right, I already I already commented on Mula the cat deer. Uh, we haven't said anything about I I 
Oh, I, I, he's great. What an amazing yeah. design. Yes. He was, I, he's awesome. I, I love him. And, uh, Two things that we get out of I.I., aside from a really comedic performance, there's the moment where he laughs at his own joke, where he makes the joke about, uh, that's on the other side of none of your business, Valley, and he just cracks himself up. That was so Sokka. Just that whole <laughs> that whole moment, and even the animation, the look on his face. Wait, like, is this prequel trying to say the I.I. spirit is actually Sokka's dad? Maybe. Ooh, okay. Maybe. Sokka was I.I. reborn. Um, Everyone's a Skywalker. <laughs> God. Uh, <laughs> But um, no, that they also use II to uh, II and uh, and Wan's friend Yao back in in the this back in the city uh, to preface the idea that spirits inhabiting humans uh, changes humans, right? Yeah, uh, which obviously is where we're going with the whole Rava and Wan thing. II possessing that one guy Creepy. was yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty fucking creepy, uh, especially for again for a Nickelodeon show. Uh-huh. And of course, II's reaction is, "Oh, he looks better now than he did before." <laughs> a, a great subtle little piece of animation there too, where we get the we're looking straight on at the human that's just been deformed, and he freaks out, and then he runs out of frame and standing in the exact same spot behind him is II. So yeah. Um, yeah, and so that that sort of creepy uh, body horror scene is followed immediately by I.I. confessing, yeah, if I'd stayed in him a little bit longer, I would have just straight up killed him, which I did think about doing. <laughs> it's, and yeah, and that does, so I guess, I guess that does mean we should talk about uh, Rava and Fatu mm-hmm. now, because it is sort of key to all this stuff, and it, and it is a big play on a lot of the spirit issues. Um I, I, I will say I think that the Rava Vatu conflict is is the one place in this prequel that, that threatens the tip the the series a little bit. How so? It's very big and um, binary in a way that um, Avatar rarely is. That the Avatar universe rarely is. I think it threads the needle pretty well, mm-hmm. but it is the type of plot that Avatar tends not to do, like cosmic good and evil mm-hmm. battle. Um, even even the pure evil of Ozai was a very human evil. Oh man, it's it's the it's the Avatar version of Jacob and the Man in Black. It is. Oh my god. This is literally white and black. This is this is Avatar's. Uh, uh, what was it? Beyond the Sea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a better episode. Speaking of how wrong it can go. <laughs> yeah, this is a better episode. Than <laughs> Beyond the Sea. <laughs> this is this is really what what Lost wanted to do. Actually. Th- Beyond the Sea is exactly why you have worries when this episode starts. Like, this is very specifically what you're like, oh, God, this is going to be that episode where... By the way, by the way, that episode of Lost was Across the Sea. Beyond the Sea is an amazing season one episode of The X-Files. Excuse me, you're right. I apologize. Across the Sea. My bad. Either way, the exact opposite. It was the Vatu to this episode's Rava, is what I'm saying. (laughs) I, I and just just so everyone listening is clear, I am a huge fan of Lost. I adore Me that too. show. Yeah, and even I, uh, that episode mm-hmm. did not sit well. It was a weak oh, spot, and I love the whole ending too. But that episode, oh is yeah, a little bit. Me too. It, ep- it, it, it's the penultimate episode of the show, and it completely right. Because wasn't that like the the second to last episode ever? I think third to last. Yeah. Oh, third to last. Okay. Anyway, positioning it so close to the end, especially, makes it not work because. 
again, you, you, it's the trap that prequels fall into. Like we have preconceived notions about this universe. And even if we want answers at the, at this point, so late into a story, we have already answered so many of our own questions or have simply stopped thinking about them. So it was definitely a gamble for, uh, the Korra team to come in at this, at this point in the, sure, we're not even halfway through Korra yet, but this late into the Avatar universe to be like, so by the way, Here's how our entire world was created, basically. And, and it, here is a here is a ten thousand year cycle of good versus evil, right? That that we're going to drop into the mythology right now. Yeah, it, it could have been way too much, but it's it's really impressive how much the gamble pays off. It, they do. They manage to nail it, and I think the reason they nail it has nothing to do with Vatu, who is a fairly boring spirit. Um, which I guess he's makes the sense. He's the Unalak of spirits. He is the Unalak of spirits. Yes. Um, I mean, I think I think it's interesting the effect he has on the spirits, like that, like what we learn about the dark spirits being sort of a reflection, being sort of the uh, corrupted by the dark side side of the spirits is sort of interesting, and it goes towards these spirits not being light or dark, and they're not being evil in them, but they're sort of corrupted by this. So I, I like that. But the thing that's interesting is Juan and Vatu, sorry, Juan and uh, Rabo's relationship. Mm-hmm. And the role she plays in him being able to trade out powers um, and where that ultimately goes. That stuff is fascinating. I I love the way that Rava's uh, impact is holding the powers for Juan for so long so that he can use them to help her fight Fatu. But the difficulty in being able to pass those off uh, and all the images of her going through him and leaving him with a power are just awesome. Yeah, there's a... I hadn't focused so much on whether I liked the cosmic aspects of good and evil bit, uh, although I do. I guess I do have something to say on that. But um, the Rava and Vatu design, just uh, the entire element of those characters, I actually I'm a huge fan of. We we've seen in the seri- in both series before this, and especially in these two episodes, we see all sorts of just weird, wacky, bizarre, uh, half human, half animal you know, whatever, walking, talking teapot kind of things uh, in the spirit world. Uh, these spirits, uh, Rava and Vatu, I love their design. So um, Kanitsko has said that when they were, when he was trying to design these spirits, like uh, what he went with here, he wanted them to look kind of like, he wanted them to have sort of a kite, like a, an old Chinese kite uh, design to them, uh, but also the shape of the, head i guess is what you would call it uh is meant to evoke like the roof line the chinese roof lines yeah um and that the pattern on their faces i guess um he took inspiration from uh both like organic uh natural elements like he specifically cited horseshoe crabs uh, sort of the design on their shells, and then also the intricate brushwork of ancient uh, written languages, Sanskrit and Chinese characters in particular. Um, so all of that went into the d- design of these things, and he he meant that to to like he wanted them to look like they inspired all sorts of things: architecture, written language, um, designs of nature, whatever. Uh, I just think they're completely unique. And I love how physical they feel. All the other spirits are, with maybe the exception of uh, of I I, who looks like an actual physical creature walking around. Most of the spirits are very ghostly and transparent and ethereal. And these things, they look sort of ethereal because they they 
blow around like kites, but when they're fighting and they slam into the ground, the entire earth shakes. Yeah. yeah there's a, and there's a very different physicality to them as a result. Like when, when, um, Juan is fighting with Vatu at the end and shooting water at it, the way it rips holes mm-hmm. and Vatu is interesting. Um, the sound design of Vatu's like spirit laser his, thing. His, I see. Yeah, my note uh, is, my note on that is, uh, oh God, where'd it go? Um, son of a bitch. I think I said like, uh oh, uh, Vatu. Here it is. Uh oh, Vato has the power of the Inception Womp. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't want that power, though? Come on. I, I I love that sound. I love the I love a good like visual and uh, sound effect combination when they can do them. It doesn't sound like everything else. Mm-hmm. And the like the intensity of that really bright pink kind of like uh, beam, mm-hmm. along with that really rumbling dark noise is so is really evocative it's really powerful for me yeah so it's it, i agree with you the physicality of both of them are are is very fascinating when we first see them when they're tumbling together before they kind of separate and you and you start to see the individual designs of them uh they're rolling around in just this mass and there are a couple of frames where it, they very clearly look like the yin yang yeah spiraled shape which is appropriate. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Arlo, you haven't said much about him. What do you think about Rava and Vatu? I mean, you guys have pretty much said all of it. Uh, I, I do like their designs. I like, I, I, I share Eric's, <clears throat> excuse me. I share Eric's general concern about the cosmic good versus evil. I think that's, again, another dangerous thing prequels can do is to throw something in the mix like that. But I think especially, you know, if I'm right, if it ties into the season uh, as a whole as much as I think it's going to, then I don't think that's going to be an issue. But apart from that, I, yeah, I, I was, I'm very positive on Rava and Vatu. Cool. Um, let's see, what else? So, so, okay, so one thing I want to make sure we talk about that I think is going to get lost amidst the bigger stuff if we don't address it soon is the cl- uh, that we right, right away – into this Juan has a classic avatar concern moment which is trying to stand in between two groups of friends mm-hmm. and calm them down while both of them think they're betraying him or he's betraying them the spirits and his friends from the human world trying to balance them out and everyone hating him for it and that is the first sort of pseudo avatar moment avatar state moment i mean yeah right? that's when they when when he and Va- or he Vatu, he and rava join um in full for the first time and you get that uh you get ang's little spiral effect with all the elements twirling around him oh i love that i I got every single like step towards the full avatar state of Juan hit me kind of emotionally Mm -hmm. i i have to admit like i that just like a real like cathartic thrill both then and then especially at the end um when him and uh, Vatu, sorry, him and uh, Rava basically bond permanently. Yep. Both and the, of those, and the yeah. full Avatar theme kicks in. Yes. Mm-hmm. It totally nailed me. Yep. Totally nailed me. I agree. But, so, but yeah, I, right from the beginning. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I just have a question. I, I want to make sure that I'm I'm getting everything correctly. So, uh, we so fr- from these episodes, at the beginning, uh, as far as we know of the Avatar world, spirits and humans. Uh, existed together like no they didn't like 
co- you know lived together, but they they were on the they were in the same world. And then at the end, Juan makes the decision that you know he he that the, the spirits have to go back home to the spirit world and to keep those two worlds separate and he's the one who closes the spirit portals so that no one no human can enter and release vatu did i get all that right one one thing that i think is wrong is that i think that the original state was that there was a spirit and human world and vatu actually broke it down and that's why there was this imbalance between the spirits being in the material world did i did i understand that correctly yeah yeah i've got this is a quote from rava she says uh, this physical world is where humans come from spirits come from another realm at the north and south poles the two realms intersect over time more and more spirits have drifted into this world humans have been forced apart setting settling on the lion turtles who protect them and losing touch with each other Okay, so I think it's an interesting uh, countermeasure then to like try to permanently separate humans and spirits. Yeah, that. Uh, I mean, we're talking about all all this out of sequence, so it doesn't matter. I, I, I one of my last comments was going to be on how the 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 sending the spirits back into the spirit world and closing the portals that was played out. I mean, that was presented to us as a positive, as a good thing. Um, and certainly when I, I like turns around and smiles and bows at one, you know, it's meant to be, this is a peaceful transfer of power or whatever. Like this was, he didn't force them to do this. It doesn't look like, but some of the imagery of that, it's still a little bit uncomfortable to me. It's, it's, yeah, yeah no, I, I got t- that too. Just the tiniest bit like trail of tears ish. Yeah. It, I, I think that's an interesting, like big first gesture for for the avatar to make it's what what i think is interesting about it is is that it it feels like the best option he had for himself at that moment but not one that we feel or i think are supposed to feel all that comfortable with Mm -hmm. um we'll 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 loop back to that um as this season progresses because uh, sir obviously the state of the human and spirit world is a huge theme Mm -hmm. for um avatar right now for the season of Korra, so we'll we'll i think we'll be looping back to this a couple of times as we progress through the season but it, I, I agree it's a little it's a, it's it feels like the like not the way the world is supposed to be going forward yeah it's it's really weird because like i mean like i just said rava rava explains that originally the two worlds were separate and that uh spirits were drifting to this world so in theory it's maybe that's the way it's supposed to be is separate like that but it still it raises some uh, some of the same questions that we got in uh, the promise, the graphic novel, the promise. Where uh, did any of those spirits not want? Had they had they lived in the human world long enough? They'd set up families. Did they not want to go back? Were they being forcefully uprooted and sent back to their homeland? Yeah. Well, maybe we'll find out the answer in Smoke and Shadows. Hmm. Maybe. Um. Okay, so uh, all I know is I think everyone listening should buy a copy of The Sandman Companion by High Bender. <laughs> all of the answers you're looking for are contained there. All the answers to everything are contained there. Um, so I don't want to. Well, Arlo already brought Unalak into the equation, so I'm going to ask an Unalak question here. Uh, Unalak had told Korra before that uh, that the 
water tribes used to be connected by these spirit portals and they could travel back and forth in a very short period of time. And he said that sometime something happened during the hundred years war that, uh, that cut the Southern tribes off from, uh, from their spirit nature or whatever. Well, this obviously shows us that 10,000 years ago is when the spirit portals were closed, not any time within the water tribes life. Um, Kind of makes him seem like a giant liar, doesn't so, it? So, so is that a is that a continuity gaffe, or is that Unalak being a, a a boring but deceitful prick? I, I and I'll be honest, I, I actually <laughs> this is not coming from me having seen it. He feels he feels like a liar. <laughs> I mean, I I totally buy that as a lie. Whether or not it was intended to be a lie. Uh-huh is a different question. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, well, let's know that we've also heard that he just outright makes stuff up when he was when they when he said that he didn't need the avatar to open the spirit portal. Right. I told that the, was, I told that her was, what she needed to hear. Yeah. yeah. So, we've we've basically he we the show has explicitly established that he was willing to outright lie to Cora to try to manipulate her into whatever decisions mm-hmm. he thought he had, she had he wanted her to make. So, to to assume that the other one is a lie would not be a stretch based on what we already know. Right. About Unalak. He is he is like I then mean, I think he gets away with it by being so boring. He's just so boring, like Jesus Christ, man. Shut up. Just, whatever, we'll do whatever you say. Saying can't be it can't be untrue, it's so boring. Why would you make up such a boring lie? <laughs> I feel like I feel like most uh most great leaders who become like you know, awful villains are usually really charismatic and you know they're like the the antichrist figure uh i don't know how, how did unalak get away with it is he just that boring yeah he just <laughs> he just he just uh made everyone yawn to the point where he could slip by quietly yeah <laughs> yeah makes sense to me um all right so uh the the do we want to talk about the big fight yeah, let's talk about oh, that. Oh wait, we didn't we haven't even talked about the other humans, so we get to see the ancient air nomads. Yeah, living in a city. That mm-hmm. was really but dressing the same. But their tattoos were different. Yeah. They didn't used to have first of all, they all had tattoos, not just the ones that were, had mastered airbending. Uh and they weren't arrows, they were I don't know, weird sort of stick figure designs or something. I don't know what they were. They were cool looking, but uh looks like the air nomads have always basically been air nomads. Yeah, the, it's interesting because the Fire Nation original city that didn't have as explicit of um, cultural and design elements mm-hmm. that matched the Fire Nation, I, I felt like. I mean, I think they were there. The Echoes were there, but it wasn't as close as mm-hmm. as um, the Air Nomads. And, and to a certain degree, um, not, maybe not as close as the Earth Kingdom's uh, originators either, whose city at least had some different architecture, but very architecture that echoed their their architecture later. Wow, I'm I'm ashamed to say I didn't look closely at the architecture. I was going to say we didn't get to see any people. We didn't get to see any um, of the the Earth Kingdom people or the Water Tribe people. We saw we just saw their cities, their lion turtles, but I don't remember looking at the architecture. Like as the the Earth Kingdom, as the Earth lion turtle was rising up out of the sand. I assume that's what you mean that we got to see some of the buildings there. Yeah, you could see the outside of it. It reminded me in some ways of um, of Omashu. Okay. I think I, I don't know. Or I don't know if you were looking at the city at all, but it it, it felt Earth, Earth Nation e, even though it didn't feel like um, Bossing Sack. Hmm. Yeah, I, I miss those details. Um, Look, man, if I can't even see that friggin' Sokka statue, 
or whatever it was in the last episode, I'm not going to be able to see, like, oh, this looks like Bossing Say. <laughs> Alright, uh, forget it. I'm, 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 a, I'm a moron, is what I'm trying to say. If I, ha- if I hadn't made that painfully obvious over the course of this podcast. Oh, oh you made it painfully obvious before then. Yeah. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> um, uh, so, before we get to the big fight, we get uh, uh, Vatu drops what sounds like a very important detail, this whole harmonic convergence thing. Yeah. Um, Vatu seems pretty excited by it. Yeah. So is this, I I feel like this is one of the details. uh, This is one of those sort of midi-chlorian details that could potentially be really awkward and unsatisfying when you, when you throw it into a series, this late in development. Right. What, uh, so, uh, I guess, as we understand it at this point, the spirits of Rava and Vatu, every, they struggle for 10,000 years, and every 10,000 years at harmonic convergence, which I meant to look at the planets. It shows the planets aligning, and I meant to look at the planets and see if, they, if, if it's our solar system. I do remember there were two planets with rings, and my first thought was, oh, that's not our solar system. And I was like, wait, yeah, we've got multiple ringed planets. But uh, anyways... Sure. Well, I want to know what Arlo thought. I, I have thoughts on this, but I'm curious what Arlo's thoughts on the on the how how this harmonic convergence idea fits in. It's the universe one. It's interesting. It's actually of all the details that get thrown at us, this one was the hardest for me to 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 cotton to for whatever reason. Because I think you're right. It's a really big thing to sort of throw to to throw into a series that's late. It's sort of like. It's. I'm guessing it's kind of. It's going to be like this season's version of Sozin's Comet, mm-hmm. like how that was hanging. But that was hanging over Avatar like the entire series, and this is a thing that happens like every ten thousand years, and we're just now finding out about it. I. I, I don't know. I, I guess a lot uh, for me. A lot of it will will rest on how it plays out. For for me, this works. I think I, I was a little more concerned with the. Um, Rava Vatu conflict at its core. The harmonic convergence thing actually works fine for me because this is Avatar World has a history of planetary alignment and um, cosmic events mm-hmm. being very influential on the state of the world. Not just Sozin's Comet, but the Eclipse. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a long history in Avatar of um, celestial events affecting things on the world. That is that is just built into the world. So and plan- massive planetary alignments are a thing that happen, anyways, and they tend to have great significance attached to them in our world too. So I think the combination of all of those, even though we've never learned of this before, it matches the history of the world really closely. So the idea that there would be some celestial event that juices up the spirit world makes sense, given that there's a celestial event that juices up firebending, for mm-hmm. instance. So I, I, it worked for me pretty well because of that. I, I don't, uh, in hindsight, like at this point, my, my, uh, relationship with the show, it doesn't bother me, but I, I do remember on the first viewing, like particularly at the end after Cora wakes up and she, she gets her memory back and she's talking to the, the, uh, fire sage and she says, I wonder how long I've been away. And, uh, the, Sage says, well, that I cannot say, but you do not have much time left. The harmonic convergence is only weeks away. I was like, okay, <laughs> so we have literally never heard of harmonic convergence before this this specific episode. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. I, I could swear that, we, that we've been hearing about it since the beginning of the season from Unalak. Really? 
I, I feel like that was one of the reasons that we needed. He he wanted her to open the spirit portals and like bring ba- and like balance things out because that was going to cause more of a problem with the dark spirits if she didn't balance things out before that hit. Well, uh, we'll have to fact check that. I don't remember hearing of it before this, but uh, at any rate, that that moment when they say it's only weeks away, I, I remember feeling like that's a pretty big detail. And then all of a sudden, bam, by the end of this, there's our ticking clock. Like we, we find out about harmonic convergence. And then at the very end of the same episode, we find out it's the ticking clock and there's almost no time to prepare for it. Yeah. I w- honestly, in some ways I, I like that just because um, we don't have a long time ticking clock like we did with Sozin's comet. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I, I guess you're, you're right. It is uh, beginnings. Part two is the first time it's referenced. For some reason I thought we had heard, information about it before but i guess i'm just uh oh wait no hold on hold on um what what is is a breath of fresh air the first episode of the season oh lord You're no uh rebel spirit was the first episode of the season oh this is this is this is season three it's just it, it, this has it listed incorrectly this uh this thing yeah. Uh, yeah this is just screwed up so anyways yeah i um I I I just didn't, this doesn't really bother me. I guess we hadn't heard about it. I thought we had um I thought we had gotten information on it before, but I I guess I'm Well, let me let me bring up then cuz I mentioned earlier the structure of this season. I maybe it's it's entirely possible it's because I've not seen the rest of the season. I'm expecting all of this to play out, but right now it just feels like a lot of disparate threads uh that that don't that that are sort of connected to each other, but don't really. I, I don't know that this season to me feels a lot more disconnected and maybe a little messier than than the last season of Korra or any season of Avatar. I, I agree with that. It, it is a season of subplots. Yeah, it really is. I, I, and I think they're all almost all pretty good subplots and they all actually play and we talked about this last week a little bit that they all play into the main thematic side of the plot pretty well nothing there there aren't subplots that aren't connected to the main storyline but it feels like the main storyline is there to generate subplots and not to generate a main plot which i think is what leads to the disconnected yes. feel the which the downsides that are obvious the upsides to that are uh Nuk-tuk and that and Bolin's plot and Mako's sting plot. That's the upside is we can spend two episodes dealing with just them. We can spend two episodes dealing with just the origin of the avatar. So there, we gain a lot from what we give up mm-hmm. on that. And I, I still think this is why, I mean, I've said before that I've, I feel like this is the weakest season of the show and it's because they didn't find a way to knit them all together. And there probably was a better way of balancing these things out balance. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but, <laughs> but that said, a lot of the what we get out of this this messiness is so good that I can't just discount what we get out of it. Oh no, and I, yeah, I don't mean to discount any of this. I like like you said, I think all of these subplots are good. Like uh, especially like this this just uh seemingly I know it's not random, but this just seemingly out of nowhere uh two-part avatar origin story is the best thing so far this season. Um, but taken as a whole, like looking at the season as a whole, it just, it feels, it does feel kind of like a mess. Yeah. We will, uh, we'll revisit by the end of season two, or book two, and yeah. we'll, we'll discuss if, if it all comes together and how, how much of the stuff felt extraneous and how much of it was, was ultimately important. But, um, 
in any case and and it's easy for me to be i think maybe a little gentler on even though i am like the least gentle person on the season coming into it um i i it's possible for me to maybe a little gentler on it because i'm seeing the threads of things planted that make this show what it is as it goes forward so i'm like making mako and bolin stronger characters is so important it's not as important if this is the last season of the show you'd be like why are you wasting time but when you have two more seasons out ahead of you making your side characters much more fleshed out is such a huge win and it pays dividends the rest of the series. And the same thing goes by like really contextualizing Korra's path as the avatar and making it very distinct from Aang's is also the kind of thing that can pay dividends as you go forward. And so I don't know. I'm, I'm very conflicted on the, the way this season is structured, but I am liking it more as of this point, especially given that the last four episodes, in my opinion, were really great. We've, I think this is a really solid run of four episodes that we've gotten. Cool. Um, all right. Well, let's get to the big battle uh, because <clears throat> my when when that fight uh, first begins, uh, the thought process I had was, okay, so they go to the spirit world um, physically, like they walk through the portal into the spirit world. Um, and my first thought was, hey, wait a minute. Bending doesn't work in the spirit world, but that's not that's not really true what correct me if i'm wrong we have never seen anybody physically enter the spirit world before right correct we've only seen people astral project into the spirit world right so this is the first time we've seen somebody physically in the spirit world so clearly uh bending works that way Um, and that's because the spirit portals have been closed which raises another question which we can I'll I'll raise I'll ask the question now and we can address it later. But the other question is: if the spirit portals are closed, how have we been seeing spirits all this time in both shows? Clearly, spirits can travel back and forth even without the portals being open. Is it just more difficult for them? Are these spirits that have been trapped on this side when the portal were closed? Yeah, I was going to say maybe they're just stragglers who didn't who know who either got trapped or never made the the journey. Mm -hmm. Because again, Juan wasn't forcing them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, the way it read to me was that they were um they were the ones who stayed behind mm-hmm. is how it how it read to me because all of the spirits we've seen so far seem to have a long history in the area that they were in. The the owl spirit who runs the library had been at the library for a long time. The you know the painted lady mm-hmm. was a part of that area for a really long time. Same thing from the search. The spirits in that forest had been there for a really long time. So most, if not all, of the spirits we've seen in the Avatarverse have been very tied to the location they're in, which suggests to me that they've been there for a super long time. So here's my next question, <clears throat> and I genuinely don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking ahead. I'm trying to, trying to see if this. I don't remember if this is answered later in the series, but uh, does that mean like when we've seen Ang? Uh, quote unquote go into the spirit world is he actually not going to the spirit world is he just sort of astral projecting and he can then communicate with the spirits that are here on earth because ko the face stealer he had to go he had to supposedly go to the spirit world to converse with ko but ko clearly has had impact on humans here on earth so it's entirely possible we've never even really seen the spirit world before yeah it's a good point um, because Avatar, so Aang certainly was astral projecting when he spoke with spirits before, because we've seen it. That's how um, 
Zuko captured Aang mm-hmm. in the Siege of the North was that he was astral projecting into the spirit world. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, so I think that that is um, definitely the case. I also think there's two things at play here. One is they admittedly came up with the rules for the spirit and human world in this season. I mean, they've admitted right. that, you know. Uh, the other side of it is is that I think it's not hard to just to think that, it, you know, just because there's two major spirit portals doesn't mean there's no other way for spirits to leak into the world a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So that's another possibility is that um, it may, the Avatar universe has never been super exclusive about the way things work. Mm-hmm. So that that there are ways through otherwise doesn't seem um, Im- impossible. And who knows? Maybe the spirits are astral projecting. Maybe. Ooh. <sighs> okay. So <laughs> enough of that silliness. Let's talk about the final battle and uh, and what that means, what that tells us about the universe that we're living in now. Arlo, would you as final battles go? Would you think it was pretty epic? Mm-hmm. It was it was a pretty is a pretty great battle. It's it's so god it was so nice to see to see the battles back. Right. Uh, it was my first thought was like, "Oh my god, I forgot how good the battles could look in the show." <laughs> and the action hasn't been bad this season, but this really felt like Avatar again to me. Yeah. I am uh, my I, I've discovered over the course of this podcast my strong suit is not discussing these fights in detail. I watch them and I enjoy them, but then you guys always like uh, drop science on me. <laughs> well, with the exception of the Inception Womp, uh, there's not much science that I necessarily have to drop on uh, on this fight sequence because, since it was just two people fighting or two two entities fighting, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's much more epic and it's much more um, like choreographed, I think, than basically any of really any of the fight sequences we've had in this season so far. Uh, it definitely feels like it has more stakes than any, oh, yeah, fights, sure. any of the fights we've seen before. And it's and it's arced really well. Like it's not just a good fight, but we get a lot of really great stages to the battle of um, Juan trying to fight Vatu and not being able to keep up with it, and then. Um, accepting uh, Rava into him so they can join forces, even if it's going to kill him mm-hmm. and that part. And then the, the really the first full avatar moment that we get like right. that, that the entrance of Juan into really being the avatar that we know using all the elements against Vatu, which is just that sequence is like, it is we're, we're what like six seasons or like five seasons into the show at this point, plus a couple of graphic novels. And I still get a thrill every time we get full Avatar moments. You know, when the Avatar really steps up into the Avatar role, using all the elements, um, those moments still just get me. And that and that whole part of the fight is so good. I know I mentioned it before, but the part where he's ripping holes in Vatu with the water blast is just yeah. so cool. It's just such a well 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 built little bit. Actually, and you know that the when that scene you're talking about when he uses the water and rips holes in Vatu, uh, that's an example of how of the beautiful choreography that goes into this fight and that they've done in, in previous fights specifically in avatar, but because that moment comes from, uh, he's been zipping around through the air, like throwing rocks and fire at Vatu and Vatu knocks him to the ground. And that sequence is him hitting the ground and like rolling into this river or whatever. And he goes from an out of control spin to like a spiral dance where he starts you know, spinning the water around him and throwing him. It was, it's, it's beautiful. I love that stuff. I love that that much thought uh, and consideration goes into all of the movement and the, the, the flow of the action. 
it's it's gorgeous and and it leads up to the one of the favorite visuals of the series which is the avatar element rings which he uses to bind vatu mm-hmm. i that was such an awesome thing when they added it into avatar like you know ang when he goes into his avatar state pulling the rings of elements around him yeah. was always such a great visual and like again calling back to that as the avatar does it for like the first time intentionally to bind vatu into the tree mm-hmm. was gorgeous that that visual is never going to stop getting me i don't think yeah, chill moment when he when they permanently bond and and Rava even says it now we are uh now we are together forever or something I don't remember what she says but uh, and you get the avatar music and the final fight and he seals Vatu up in that tree that was a, an interesting moment. Yeah. Um but then we flash forward which is still a flashback for us but flash forward to the end of Juan's life. Uh, yeah. Oh wait, before we get to that Boy, is that depressing. Okay, no, we'll do it. We'll do it. The, so the final one scene that we get is, um, I love the fade from the optimistic moment of him saying, I I will work together to bring balance to these people. The different people need to learn to live together in balance or whatever. And then it cuts to the aftermath of some epic battle sequence. And there's so many tiny little details in, the, in just the wreckage and destruction that we see. Um, like... He, for example, the thing that I love is he's laying up against a gigantic stone wheel. And when you first see the the battlescape, there's all kinds of those wheels laying scattered around, half buried, whatever. I imagine those were earthbender weapons, that earthbenders had been hurling those at, he, at the other armies or whatever. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's such a great ending. There's two things I really like about it. One is the the... The break between um, young Avatar and more um, seasoned and cynical, I don't want to say cynical, but like um, resigned Avatar is one of those things I feel like we've gotten over and over again in the show, a little bit with Roku in the original series. We get to see who Aang became in this. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. We get this, um, you know, freewheeling thief Juan uh, as a. Uh, old man who feels like he couldn't pull off what he intended to pull off, mm-hmm. which, which feels like a, a a recurring thing in the Avatar universe. Uh, Roku is another Avatar who died with very similar feelings of having failed in some critical part of his duty, and and those really work. And it's just really like what a kind of depressing gut punch to throw in at the end of this like gorgeous uplifting story of the beginning of the Avatar mm-hmm. to drop that in. I like that as well, because I think that shows that, you know, even someone like Juan, who does great things and gives his all trying to, you know, save the world, still is ultimately human. And yeah, you you could take that as depressing, but if you look at it as on a larger scale, it just shows the the Avatar is always going to have to keep... uh, uh, you know, re- regenerating, obviously, and then trying to approach things from a different angle, trying to keep up with the world around them. You know what's interesting about it to me is that the the th- one of the things we're seeing in the Avatar cycle is that the um, it feels like most Avatars have a crisis or two that is theirs to solve, and then a crisis or two that develops near the end of their life that they're unable to solve. That's the next Avatar's problem. Right. The next Avatar's very different personality needed to solve. Roku 
did so much but couldn't stop the rise of the Fire Nation. And that led into Aang, who was able to do that and birth a new world, but was not able to bring this new world into balance. And now that's falling to Korra. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I had sort of a a big picture question I wanted to ask, but before we get to that, uh, I have one more minor little question. So we see, after the defeat of Vatu, we see... Um, the one of the lion turtles uh, saying the world's entering a new age our time protecting mankind is over we will no longer give humans the power of the elements uh so and and i was about to ask the question and i think maybe i already answered it in my in my head my question was so how then did the benders evolve um uh, what do you guys take from that? So why do we have four nations of benders now if, it, if at a certain point the lion turtles stopped giving uh, the power to humans? I think that's why we don't have a world of benders, is what I think. There have been people that they had granted the elements to, mm-hmm. and they were no longer going to keep granting right. those elements to people. So I think that's why we end up specifically with the problem in the first season of Korra of benders and non-benders. Okay. Yeah, I kind of, as I was asking the question, I was like, well, there are, there are people that they have already given the powers to. Right. Uh, and I guess those people are able to, to pass that down, to pass it on. So there, there, there is a lineage, I guess, maybe of firebenders or, or of, of benders. And, and we, um, so we can blame the lion turtles for Amon. <laughs> Is what we're saying here. Fucking lion turtles. God damn it. Uh, so you know what's interesting about the lion turtles, though, is is that there are, what do they say, dozens? Yeah, I.I. says there's dozens of them. So what I think is interesting is, so are the lion turtles unique to specific elements? Like, not to say unique to, there may be multiple, but like, does a lion turtle that grant fire only granting fire? And does that mean that Aang came across an energy-bending lion? I, I wondered that, too. Like, I, I assumed that that... In this, we see one of them grant fire, one of them grant water, so on and so forth. I assume each one only ha- only covers one element, but maybe energy. I, my question was, can they all do the energy bending? Is that something they can all do, um, or is there is there a turtle that is only energy bending? Is does that mean there's a turtle out there, or was a turtle out there that is only I don't even know what I can't come up with anything else. Um, I- Arlo, how how happy are you to learn that bending is turtle power? I'm so happy. And actually, I'm really glad you asked me that because I have been Googling as we've been sitting here. uh, I Googled the phrase, out of curiosity, Teenage Mutant Ninja Lion Turtles. (laughs) Um, And there's a sad lack of, uh, of relevant results. In fact, Google's first response is, did you mean Teenage Mutant Ninja Alien Turtles? No. Oh. no, that's not what I meant. So this led me down a wonderful rabbit hole. Uh, on fanfiction.net, uh, there are listed two Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Legend of Korra crossovers. Uh, one of, okay, the first one uh, is called Legends of Karai. Um, and I don't, I, I don't know what it's, it's, it looks like it's really short, but I don't know what it's about, but the description of it is beautiful because it's completely incomprehensible. Legends of Karai, Water, Leo, Fire, Raph, April, No Bending, Mikey, Air, Donnie, Earth, Karai, Avatar. Sorry, it wonked in the beginning. 
And it's the description. The story it's all, all just one... words until there's the, a confusing apology at the end. <laughs> <laughs> one run-on sentence. I think they're trying to say that uh, Karai, who I think is a Ninja Turtles character, uh, is Shredder's daughter, I think, uh, is a waterbender. I think they're trying to say Leonardo's uh, a firebender. I, I, I don't know. And but April, then, April is not a bender. I got that out. Of Michelangelo's airbender. Donnie's an earthbender. Uh, oh, wait. No, hold on. Now, wouldn't Raphael maybe, be a firebender? Yeah. Well, yeah. Hold on. I think. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna. I am diagramming this. Uh, this oh, description. Lord. So, Legends of Karai. Take that by itself. I think he's repeating the story titles. This is by Nala the Cat, by the way. Okay. okay so Nala the Cat is just relisting the the story title. Then Water is Leo, Fire is Raph, and then it just jumps to April's name, and that completely changes the scheme. I can't. I can't make sense. I cannot make sense of this. I refuse. Apparently, Karai is the Avatar. So Shredder's daughter is the Avatar. Uh, again, this looks like a very short story. If you would like to read this, it's it's there. Oh, and he starts the story by saying, so you know, a lot of fan fiction stories start with, uh, you know, I don't have the copyright to these characters. Blah blah blah. Um, this one starts with, I don't know an Avatar or TMNT dot 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 yet. Jeez. Oh, so I don't know. Watch if that's... out. <laughs> Now, this next one, this next one is the one I really want to discuss. Uh, it is entitled The Horny Turtle. Of course and that's the, dis- the one you want to talk about. <laughs> it's by T. LaRoche 2. The description is a brief story of how I believe the Lion Turtles and, in turn, the Ninja Turtles were created. <laughs> and it's, it's only 282 words. I'm not going to repeat those words here. I'm... I'm looking at some of them, though. <laughs> I would recommend, if you're listening to this, please read The Horny Turtle by T. LaRoche, too. I, I think those links need to go in the show notes. <laughs> I oh. think they do not need to go. <laughs> Finding these can be left as an exercise to the listener. <laughs> and when I say exercise to the listener, I'd like you to avoid it like you do all exercise. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think it's, it's going to be worth it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Wow. Um, that, so that, th- thank you, Arlo, for ruining these two episodes. Any time. This is what I do. <laughs> um, I lied. There's one more one more minor thing I want to mention before we I raise the big philosophical question. Uh, so the the second part ends with Cora waking up, remembering who she is, so on and so forth. And there's two little bits of of well, I guess in some to some extent the be- beginnings two parter. Fills in a lot of gaps, answers a lot of questions, or at least is in, is meant to answer a bunch of questions. Um, I feel like the little throwaway line that the uh, the shaman or the the fire sage has about we've been raising this herd of flying bison since the Hundred Year War. I it although it never crossed my mind, it never occurred to me. I imagine that seems like an answer to fan question. Uh, that I had never heard before of why all of a sudden, 70 years after Appa, are there a bunch of flying bison again? Hmm. Because through Avatar, the the implication had been they were extinct and Appa was uh, the only one left or whatever, because he'd been frozen in ice. Uh, So this is one of those quests. This is one of those things where the writers are like, Oh yeah, there's these fire sages in a hidden village somewhere that have been secretly raising a herd of bison. You know, Paul, I'm glad you brought this up because I just realized that we totally went negligent 
on our last episode and did not talk about another great storyline, I feel like, Uh-oh. which was which was Tenzin and um, Icky, the trainer, the animal trainer. No, uh, 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 Milo, you mean? Milo. Yeah. Milo and Tenzin, the animal we, trainer. We didn't even talk about that, we, did we? Yeah, we, we did. We did. Did we just skim it? I feel like no. we never really dug into it. We, yeah, we, we talked about it, yeah. We Well, I mean, we... I said that I wanted you, your guys' opinions on it because I wasn't really happy with the whole notion of Milo having to break Pokey's spirit in order to train him. And then we kind of we went off from that into it, it was all a meta narration on um, on Tenzin, on what Tenzin is like as a as a teacher and maybe the lessons he needs to learn. Okay, I for some reason there's a hole in my memory about that. Maybe it's just that I feel like we didn't get to really address the specifically his like like. Being a trainer, being a master is lonely, and Tenzin's like, I know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's maybe the thing that in my head that never got noted, just because you bringing up the uh, Air Bison reminded me of of Tenzin's sad, lonely uh, master syndrome. It, it, it was one of my potentials for the closing quote. I, I had considered doing the whole, being an alpha lemur is lonely, <laughs> as the closing quote of that episode. All right. All right. Never mind. We talked about it more. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I do remember the tangent. So I, I just I must I like to forgot that was how we got to that piece. Mm-hmm. And and yes. Okay. We we hey, uh, what hey, we hey, did. Eric, uh, try listening to the podcast next time. <laughs> Why okay. would I listen to a podcast that I'm on? What we didn't address is the fact that Milo now has a an entire uh, army of trained attack lemurs. We did. We didn't discuss the fact that he trained the entire a whole squadron of flying lemurs that uh, at some point are going to uh, <laughs> attack people like a a piranha swarm and just strip the flesh from their bones in seconds. I can't wait. So, all right. Uh, the, the big philosophical question here. So, um, we've already talked about how the the avatar state turns out to be kind of a band aid. So. I'm interested in the fact that what we've learned from this is that um, the the state of the Avatar universe is basically because one guy stuck his nose where maybe it didn't really belong uh, and kind of screwed up the balance of stuff that was going on. Um, that the what I take from this is that the Avatar, the whole idea of an Avatar, uh, is a stopgap solution uh, that I guess is supposed to maintain balance until the next harmonic convergence when what the world can be fixed so avatars have been around for 10,000 years we're coming up to the the moment that they've been building up to um eastern philosophy has kind of played a a role in the avatar series since the very beginning uh be it the buddhist belief in reincarnation or taoist respect for nature and balance between all things um so the status quo that we've seen up to this point is really just, it's a flawed model because the universe was never really supposed to be this way, right? That's what we're finding out. Right. Yeah. Okay. So Arlo, what do you think the world is supposed to be? What is going to happen? This is, uh, we're weeks away from the harmonic convergence, uh, but we're only two books into a four book series. Uh, I am anticipating that Korra is going to be able to unite the human and spirit worlds and everyone will live in peace for all eternity. And season two and three, sorry, season three and four will turn into a situational comedy as, <laughs> as Korra, Mako, Bolin, and a bevy of strange spirits move in together into an apartment complex and try to live together. The I.I. spirit is this show's equivalent of uh, Kramer. There you go. <laughs> 
Wow. Just just slides into Cora's apartment every day with the funky synth music in the wow. background. I, I was expecting you to say that I.I. was going to be the Mr. Roper of uh, of this little threes company. Oh, I, th- I think but... he's much more Kramer. Okay, that fits. That works. I like it. Unalak is the Mr. Roper. Oh, God. That means Unalak has to keep going. Uh <laughs> Okay. Anything else? Was there anything uh, that we missed? Can we do we can we all agree that we're going to add uh, the Tales of Juan to the list of things that we really want to see more of? Yeah, absolutely. I I would I would read a GL um why uh Juan comic comic book totally yes. if if he did one of those. Oh man, could you imagine uh, Guru Hero doing art <laughs> for that era? That would be amazing. I really only want to see a story about Juan if it's written by Nala the Cat. <laughs> um, so are we going to have Arlo guess the uh, titles or the plots of the next episode? Is he going to get yeah. a chance to redeem himself after ruining it last week? Yeah. Uh, so uh, next week, three chapters next week, The Guide, A New Spiritual Age, and Night of a Thousand Stars. Take it away, Arlo. Uh, the Guide, I imagine... Uh, Bolin is very uh, distraught at the way in which uh, TV Guide uh, describes uh, Nuck Tuck Hero of the South and files a written complaint. Beautiful. I like that one. All right. Oh, oh wow. So Nuck Tuck, uh, Bolin as Nuck Tuck is going to be posting on message boards angry <laughs> at the reviews he's getting. Okay. I said right. file a written complaint. I didn't, I didn't necessarily say post on a message board. Well, we, know what, we know what file a written complaint means on the internet. <laughs> All right. What's he he, he uh, angrily tweets about it. Yep. He subtweets. <laughs> he subtweets TV Guide. Does TV Guide even exist anymore? I, I, I don't think so. But uh, this is the Avatar world. Who knows? Um, All right. What's that? What's what, what, we have three next week, right? Yeah. A new spiritual age. What's that one? Uh, this goes back to our old friend Yanni. Uh, Yanni will be composing some music for the spirit world in which I believe uh, there will be much like the Rava Vatu conflict there will be a uh, basically sensuality and chill will be brought into conflict with one another I love that this is going to become an undercurrent just a a running uh, sub theme through all of our various podcasts now Arlo and you weren't even recording for the, the initial incident so no one will ever understand the joke no, no, let's just keep it like this. It'll just uh, perpetuate itself this way. So, uh, last but not least, a night of a thousand or night of a thousand stars. This is going to be just like that Arabian Nights Sandman thing. <laughs> okay. All right. So, is this going to be a ripoff of that? Is what you're saying? It's actually going to be exactly. a Avatar verse adaptation of the the history of Baghdad, the dream history of Baghdad. I, I I'm down for it. In fact, I'm about to search fanfiction.net to see if there are any Sandman and uh, Avatar crossovers. Of course there are. Of course oh, man, that are. would actually, uh, honestly, that, that would, that, those are two universes that would cross over rather nicely. Sandman crosses over nicely with every fucking thing. <laughs> I, just, I just hope there are some horny turtles in them. There will be. Arlo, I think you need to get back to fanfiction, huh? Mm. Yeah. Okay. My calling. <laughs> so... Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, as always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website, theavatarreturns.com, and links will also be posted on our parent show site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. By the way, a uh, quick plug for Gobbledygeek. Uh, our next episode, our upcoming episode of that, will be Arlo and I discussing uh, the 2016 updated version of Ghostbusters. So you 
Don't want to miss that because oh yeah, we, because Paul's going to take his MRA that's... stuff from from this podcast right into that. That's Everyone right. Watch the show. Yeah, my misogyny will transfer directly from Cora into the new Ghostbusters. Uh, so uh, you can also subscribe to this show Geek, in iTunes. Make sure you never miss another exciting episode uh, while you're there. Uh, please be a hero and rate us or write us a review. Uh, that really does help spread the word. If you'd like to contact us, please send your correspondence, care of monkey Yahtzee at tarpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can always find us on social media, facebook.com slash the avatar returns or twitter.com slash tarpodcast. And on Twitter, I am at haunt1013. Eric is at salon, that's S A A L O N. And Arlo is at unplugged crazy. Uh, next is our penultimate episode of The Avatar Returns for Korra Book 2. We'll be discussing, like I said, chapters 209 to 211, uh, The Guide, A New Spiritual Age, and Night of a Thousand Stars. Uh, until then, remember, don't get banished. You don't want nothing to do with those spirits. They'll get inside you, scramble up your mind, turn you into this, a podcaster. <laughs> On the half shell, they're the heroes for In this day and age, who could ask for more? The crime wave is high, with muggings mysterious All police and detectives are furious Cause they can't find the source Of this lethally evil force This is serious, so give me a quarter I was a witness, get me a reporter Call April O'Neil in on this case Hey, you better hurry up, there's no time to waste We need help like quick on the double Have pity on a city, man, it's in trouble We need heroes like the Lone Ranger When Tonto came pronto, when there was danger They didn't say we'd be there in half an hour Cause they displayed turtle power